Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Roland Emmerich, a writer, director, and producer whose filmography includes Stargate, Independence Day, and The Day After Tomorrow, among others. His latest, Midway, a great big World War II picture starring Ed Skrine, Patrick Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Mandy Moore, Dennis Quaid, Nick Jonas, and Aaron Eckhart, opens everywhere this Friday, November 8th. We sat down when Roland came through town on a whirlwind press day, which is why this episode is so short. Roland picked Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg's magnificent 1977 and 1980 and 1997, drama about humanity's first contact with extraterrestrial life, told from the perspective of a handful of people scrambling to understand what's happening around them and to them. Richard Dreyfuss is Roy Neary, an unassuming husband and father who finds himself at the center of the most important event in our species' history. Melinda Dillon is Jillian Gwyler, whose young son Barry is also somehow a part of it, and Francois Truffaut and Bob Balaban are officials leading a government mission that will ultimately bring everyone together. A follow-up to Jaws that somehow negotiates the same shift from tension to adventure while feeling entirely different, Close Encounters is a masterful, sprawling, and entirely intimate epic that's very dear to both my and Roland's hearts, and I'm just sorry we didn't have more time to get into it. We did talk pretty fast, though. This is someone else's movie. Well, um, I was just accepted, uh, it was 1977. I was just um, accepted to the Munich Film School. I didn't want to become a director, uh, but I want to become a production designer. And I was visiting a friend. Uh, she uh, was like kind of studying fashion in Paris. Mm-hmm. And she was like uh, at school during uh, the time there, so uh, during the day. So I just walked around and I discovered they show American movies in original. Oh, right. Not in dubbed. English. Yes. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was like always a little bit upset to always have to watch everything in German. And I went into this movie and it was like kind of, was a little bit like kind of, uh, I was so taken by it. I immediately, when it came out, got into the next showing. Oh, yes. And then over the, over the, over the, over the week, I was at least two or three more times. And when you like kind of look at this movie, um, it's a little bit the model for a lot of my movies mm-hmm. because it has huge visual effects, but it has at its center a very small story. Uh, it's actually the story of an electrician who got zapped by some light and starts like some other people um, building this mountain yeah. and then going there and getting accepted and go in. Yeah, That's well, pretty much the story. I was thinking too, as soon as you chose this, structurally, yeah, because Stargate, Independence Day, even Midway are all films about people coming towards something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's always one big event uh, which my movie centers centered on, and that's just uh, how I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Stonewall, really, right? Because yeah. we meet everyone separately before they... Yes, but like Stonewall was a little bit different. Um, Anonymous was a little bit different, uh, Anonymous, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but um, but um, most of the time, and that's also like what's, what's interesting uh, on a war movie, because war just comes like a disaster over people. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, world War II was probably the biggest event um, this world has ever seen. And uh, so that's like, then you 
the good news is um, you don't have to do this um, um, slightly um, heightened characters uh, because look um, what defines Richard Dreyfus is just obsessed. Mm -hmm. He's probably a little bit obsessive guy, but when he gets obsessed about that, he loses. He pretty much like ruins his uh, his his family life. Yeah, yeah. They're moving away. That was like a gutsy movie. Yeah, well, I mean Spielberg has said subsequently, right, that now he wouldn't do it. He would have. He wouldn't have let Roy get on the ship at the end. Too bad. I know, right? It's a. It's. I think he has lost a little bit um, his guts. It's how that film has to end, right? Because we have to be Roy. We have to know. And we want to also not know what's in there. Yeah. He then like later labeled around of all these you. other versions, and I, 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 I didn't even want to see them because I don't want to know what's in there. Mm -hmm. That's like kind of def that, that defeats the purpose of the whole film. Yeah, I was uh, a little bit younger at the time. I would have been seventy-seven. I guess I was, I was nine when Close Encounters came out, and I remember the. Even now, every time I revisit it, I, I'm starting. I, 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 Jaws is probably my favorite film. That and Lawrence That's Arabia. That's a good one too, but yeah. But Close Encounters is the one that I'm haunted by in a weird way. I can leave Jaws, and you know, I watch it, I enjoy it, I go, I go home. Mm -hmm. And Close Encounters is so unlike anything else Spielberg ever made. The first hour is a horror film. I mean, it's it's uncompromising in the way that yeah. a child is menaced, and it's it's. No, and then and it's terrifying. like another. It's 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 it, it, it kidnaps a, a kid. Mm -hmm. That is, then that's a really harrowing sequence. I, I was, I remember just. Oh, kind the, of being... the, the the family life, how he portrays that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, all the details are. I mean, it's it's close to Poltergeist, I suppose, in the structure of yeah. a family under assault. But the family is shattered. But they were very kind of close together. Mm -hmm. He wanted to kind of do Poltergeist himself at one point, and then. That only produced it. Yeah. But uh, he you was can, like every day on the set. You so. can feel the influence, yeah. Mm -hmm. But with, with Close Encounters, what stuns me, and I'm sure I've talked about this in another podcast somewhere, um, there's no villain. Like, ultimately, there is no enemy. Everyone is simply failing to communicate to their families or to other people or to the military or the scientists aren't communicating it to the people they meet. And it's the only thing stopping everything from working is just this these people talking past each other, which I find so compelling. And I don't know that he's ever approached that since, that level of adult complexity. Yeah, E.T. was pretty good too. Mm -hmm. But it's a child's perspective, right? It's so yeah. much simpler. Yeah. Um, this film is, True. this film is, like I have always argued, I really have since, since the 80s, uh, that there was a moment in Hollywood in filmmaking where Star Wars sort of obliterated what might have been a more thoughtful course for science fiction. And you can see that Close Encounters is the other direction. It's, mm -hmm. it's just as stunning. It's just as it's exhilarating. So, it's, so, it's so interesting that these movies came out at the same year. Right? Yeah. Well, and that he supposed Spielberg had to rush Close Encounters to I finish know, it I for know, a Christmas know, release, yeah, right? So it's even further compromised, although mm -hmm. it isn't because it's, it's wonderful. Um, have you, so you said you avoided the special edition, which is the right call. Yeah. Did you see, have you seen the subsequent cut, the one that's available now, the 97 director's I, I, cut? I, I've with the original cut. Yeah. It's almost the same. The, yeah. the yeah. one scene, the family stuff is a little, was a little shortened in the special edition and then they've restored it. My, my husband, uh, surprised me, um, I think not the last birthday, but the birthday before. Mm -hmm. Uh, to kind of uh, because I was in L.A. and he 
uh, rented a theater, uh-huh. and uh, he kind of kind of claimed that uh, Roland, you have to check out the theater. Is this the right theater for for? He he also had made a movie, and uh, a short movie, mm-hmm. and then I came in. It was like a birthday party for me, and he screened oh, <laughs> close lovely. encounters because he knows how obsessed I am, and and he luckily. It was the original version. Uh-huh. That was unavailable for a very long time. It's on the 4K and, and one of the Blu-rays. That's what he did. And I was the, so happy. Kind of, uh, had a Blu-ray. The quality was okay. It's the experience, I think. I, there, also, it was like in this, uh, this is cool theater. It's called the Silent Movie Theater. Oh. It's on Fairfax. Yes, I think I've never and been there. that's very couches and stuff. Yeah. It's a cool, cool place to uh, watch a movie. Especially one that you love. Right? And that's... Uh, lovely the um the, the the impact of the film is something on on filmmakers on people um that's something that's always fascinated me because it's it's always there it never really goes away even though it's sort of dropped out of the larger conversation about spielberg and people talk about et and jurassic park and raiders and and jaws and i think it's i wonder if it isn't because this one like all the all the pulse pounding stuff is in the first half and then the second half is after the mountain chase i guess the last third is about wonder it's just about Relaxing and feeling—it's like has a religious feel. Yeah, everything's going to be okay. It's a little bit like a religious feel, and and it has this like yeah, wonder. And this is the longest scene ever, and I don't think it's boring at all. No, I, for, I every time I watch it, I forget what the rhythms are. It's uh, oh, that's right, the big guy hasn't shown up yet, or whatever that is, and just the idea too that we're witnessing something that we can't fully understand—that the humans are just there to to be part of the spectacle mm-hmm. rather than to commu- we are communicating but there's the point where the computers take over and they're sort of playing at each other mm-hmm. and it's all great and then this is the thing that i always come back to a smile like it just ends on a smile the smile changes the future of everything and it's so simple and perfect and i guess you can only do that if you've just made jaws and you've changed the landscape but i think he had a lot of lot of um a sway at that time, mm-hmm. and um, and he used it. I mean, that's like a little bit what he lost. He's way too much now into maybe box office. Maybe he thinks even about it. Even he shouldn't. I mean, I, nobody of should think people, about. Yeah. N- nobody should think about box office. But we all do. But I'm always trying to not think about it because it's uh, it's it ruins everything. Mm-hmm. Because look at um, another one of my favorite movies. Uh, is Blade Runner. It's uh, it sucked at the box oh, yeah, office no. and got bad reviews. Yeah, it and was... now it's like on every ten best list in the top three or four. Yeah, well, what was that? Eighty two. That was the year that Blade Runner and the Thing both just sort of missed everybody, and then mm. almost immediately, once they were out on video, people could see them. Mm. And yeah, movies used to play for for months or even years at the time, and still those two somehow just. Whiffed it? Yeah, but they were also like kind of, I mean, I don't know what, what it was. It was like just uh, people, I think they were ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. I think a Bra- Blade Runner was, I think, ahead of its time. Oh, it was yeah. too philosophical. It was too, um, I thought it was an incredible movie. Well, it's slow. I mean, I think that was part of it too. Like just as everything was starting to tip towards the more commercial. Have you seen once the director's cut? Uh, which one? <laughs> Of Blade Runner. Yeah, the well, there was the oh, the final final cut, the yeah. one that's currently out. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I you would know, like him to stop fixing things. Yeah, but like kind of what what I think is so interesting is uh, there's no narration, hmm. 
And that already makes it for me a better movie. And there's also not this cheesy flying into the future together. Oh, uh, the end. Yeah, had, so. no. I remember the uh, they premiered the. It probably wasn't the first time it was presented, but they premiered the '92 cut at TIFF. Uh, the the first attempt mm. to fix it without the narration and with the uh, with the doors closing at the end. And I remember seeing that with people and thinking, "Yep, this is better." It's still slow. It's still kind of in love with its production design and the beehive smoke mm. and all that. But it is. It's more itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the revisions have subsequently. I just. I don't think you need to have. You know. Joanna Cassidy's face stuck onto yeah. the stuntman and things like that. Yeah. But um, that's really Scott. He's always going to toy with something. Yeah. Uh, but with and then to to make the comparison with with uh, Close Encounters, what you get is Spielberg grudgingly adding things in, in 1980, telling people he doesn't want to do it and doing it anyway. That's the version that's available for 17 years, and then. But it's like still, it's uh, still whatever it is. It's like uh, the, the core of the movie is, is incredible. Yeah. Oh and, no, I, I. You know, let me see. I didn't. That's like I just don't. I just didn't wanted to see the inside of the spaceship. No. I just said what's well, wrong. There's nothing that we can conceive of, right? A human yeah, also engineer. Like an, okay, you have it. like a four, five, six, seven, ten more. Um, you know, like kind of uh, uh, frames or so, and then what should this do? Yeah. It's better you don't see it. Oh, absolutely. Plus, it all looks like it looks like a food court now. Everything looks like little vending machines and boxes, and, and it's it's a mall. And I don't want to know. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't help us that we we have an idea. It, it's also like it's it's also don't forget at that time visual effects was in a weird in between phase, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so eighties uh, were difficult. To make uh, movies yeah. in the eighties and uh, early nineties too, it started like in the when we like started doing independence. That it was the first digital compositing at least, and we did some shots where we did uh, alien fighters um, um, uh, with CGI, but um, mainly was still done with uh, with uh, motion control and and uh, and that technique. But mm-hmm. uh, and then in uh, like kind of yeah, and then the 2000 it started really to take off with CGI. Yeah, and not always for the better, I, I find. I mean, some stuff works, some stuff doesn't, but... Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. It's like, just like, uh, it's a... Look, nobody could anyway afford models anymore. Mm-hmm. This was really difficult. There was like a whole other shoot going on while you were shooting. And yeah, I always remember when in, in Independence Day, they, had, they always started a little bit later than us. Uh, so at the end of the day, I was like ran over there. <laughs> Waiting on them. And uh, and didn't get enough sleep. But um, whatever it is, whatever it was, it was like you could touch the things, you could say, oh, paint is a little bit dirtier here and, and stuff like that. Today you do the same thing, but it's it's very hard to, to do. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have like a visual effects supervisor who is totally on board with you and is not afraid to have them go again and again and again and again and I say it's like and sometimes uh, when, when it's like uh, uh, in this movie it was actually only two main companies there were like two three other smaller companies but it's like two main companies and they were all friends of mine sort of the owners and I always saw in their face uh, when I kind of said okay so we have hundred more shots to go but they're all trouble shots <laughs> so I think we need another four, five weeks. And that's after they had already 
you know they, they they really supported this film and they wanted to do a real good job and I think they each lost two or three million or so Oof. on this movie yeah. but they did it on purpose they were they, they knew going in they wanted to do this movie because it's also like a little bit of, uh, was like this example of what you can do you know mm -hmm. uh, these days sure, yeah. effects and everything has to look real and blah 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 and uh, <clears throat> so in, in that in, in that perspective uh, uh, but you do exactly the same thing. Try this here. Try and because I was like a lot involved in models, I sometimes know what looks real and what doesn't look real. Right. Because I have an eye for it. You know. So. Well, I mean, I remember Moon Forty Four had a really tactile feel because you clearly just had to build things. That was the and, first time I and, actually and, saw that in a theater. They, they yeah. played it here in, yeah. in on oh, the wow. screen. Yeah. It was, it was impressive. I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, this is like this is someone who this is a movie made by people who love this stuff yeah. and who've been waiting for a chance to play with it and get into mm -hmm. it." And and that's how I feel about Close Encounters too, and and ET, where he's been dreaming about this his whole life, and now he gets mm -hmm. to build it. And that honesty, as with Moon Forty Four, and and anything that's made practically, I think when some it's what you said when someone cares enough, you feel it. You actually get that coming back at you through the screen as opposed to here is a like you know the the cheaper versions the knockoffs all the movies that were made in the shadow of close encounters that were supposed to be the next one which were all just here's a puppet it's in a shed don't go in the shed you know like just bad <laughs> horror premises yeah i know and that 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 commitment to being emotionally in the moment in this gigantic story and have the face of the thing look like the face of the creature the face of the alien look like a child and respond like a child with this sort of this just this you it's what my face does when i meet richard dreyfus these days i light up like that's just how it works yeah. and that whole thing where all of these people who have nothing God, in common richard dreyfus he was so good he is fantastic oh yeah God, he was so good he was also good in jaws yep i mean it was so amazing right oh yeah Dreyfus and Spielberg obviously have this relationship of trust where he, like, Roy Neary is annoying and compulsive and obnoxious. Mm -hmm. He's not a great dad. He tries to be, but he's not really listening to anybody, even before the encounter. And it's just such a, a great role for him because he has was, to be us. That was the most amazing line. We need a bigger boat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the best laugh I have ever seen in any movie ever. Yeah. It's great. The, the uh, there's almost as big. I've discovered with audiences. There's almost as big a laugh when um, when he crunches the styrofoam cup uh, yeah, in response. That yeah. working class thing because yeah, it's done yeah. without dialogue and it's just this look. <laughs> but then you you put him in this and you you just trust that your entire machine is going to rest on this one man. And you know Melinda Dillon's great too, and Terry Gar and Friends. What Truffaut is in it, and he's wonderful. But it's all about him. He we have to care. We have to want this guy to leave the planet. Mm. in the end which is something that just you know you could do that in the 70s that was quite uh, something that was the most radical thing about it leaving mm. your family and going in a spaceship that he pulled that one off yeah right yeah I think it's John Williams music that lets it happen that 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 epiphany moment when the yeah. music just blasts in his face it's, yeah. it's on him and yeah. the music hits and you're like yep I'd go to yeah but it was uh, just a uh, uh, it's interesting. Spielberg said he wouldn't do it like this anymore. No, he said that he, as a, once he had a family, he couldn't imagine that movie working the same way. Oh, okay. But I think that's 
maybe it was that's... maybe good that he didn't have a family then. Yeah, it's what made right? him the right person to make it then. Yeah, it's like kind of strange that he said that. Do you look back at your own stuff the same way? Is there something you would do differently now? I mean, just yeah, sure. I mean, it's every movie you do. It's like you don't want to watch anymore because you constantly see only the mistakes. Mm. I mean, other people always say, "Why are you?" You know, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm also like a total perfectionist. You know, when there's only the color off a little bit somewhere, mm -hmm. I'm already freaking out. So, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> and then certain visual effects are not as good as others. So it's like just a, a simple fact because at one point you have to just deliver the film. Sure. They're like, take it out of your hands. Yeah. Otherwise, you would like, kind of naturally. I'm not Martin Scorsese. No. Who? He honest? has like, who has this kind of, it's like so cool when you like see that, that like this, this old dude, you know, he's like, um, I mean, he's a hero of mine because he's like just saying, movie's not finished. Yeah. It's going to be done when it's done. And if it's three hours and 20 minutes, then. But it's three hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. Everybody buys it. It's true. I'm looking forward. I still haven't. Have you seen it? I, no. Yeah. yeah, they're screening it first, and I want to say by the time this this drops, it will have already come out. So I will know. But right now, I just I want to know. Yeah. It's the expectation. I, yeah. It's delicious and wonderful. And yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Is there's anything we're about to get called for time? Um, so we've sort of touched on it already. But is there anything of Close Encounters that you've used specifically in your work besides the structural stuff? Are there tips of the hat? nods anywhere oh not really yeah no i mean when, when, you, when you admire a movie that much you want to stay away from it you know what i mean yeah. because uh, the worst would be for me you know he stole this or homaged it to close encounters and i'm always uh, i'm always always was super honest that i'm a huge fan of steven spielberg so uh, everybody knows that uh, i i took some stuff for uh, my second movie, which was called Joey, I think here in America, it's called Making Contact. Oh, yes. Um, that was, uh, there was a lot of E.T. in there. Mm. I was like, I was totally influenced by E.T. Yeah, oh, that's right, the American poster. Now it was, right. a, it was, a, was a mix between uh, E.T. and Poltergeist. Mm. But that's the moment of the day, right? That's what everybody wanted. Yeah, yeah. I know, it was like at that time. But also to have to understand, you know, um, um, I was. I grew up in Germany. Uh, in Germany, uh, when you went to film school, was already what you going film school that you can teach film, mm -hmm. and it was a super small school, and there was only two, uh, one in Berlin, and one in Munich, and there were like, um, I think we were like twelve students for film and TV film. Right. And it was all hardcore realism at the time, wasn't it? I mean, well, yeah, that's... and everybody wanted to pick it the next Fassbinder or Wim Wenders mm -hmm. or Schlöndorf or somebody like that. Yeah. I wanted to become the next uh, Steven Spielberg or or uh, George Lucas. Or, you know what I mean? I had totally different ideas about what I wanted to do uh, in film. And, and I very clearly made movies like that. I made movies like that. So I had never really changed... Uh, the kind of films I made because I always wanted to make these movies. I can only do them now in a much bigger scale. Yeah. And it was interesting once I had like kind of this interview together with uh, Michael Verhoeven 
and he kind of said, oh, it's like I feel, he, he felt at that point he lost his identity in Hollywood and, and, he, and actually at, at that time he already said, I think I will go back and make movies there again. And I said, it's so strange, for me it's exactly the opposite. I could never ever go back because the kind of movies I make, you need Hollywood for that. You need kind of the apparatus and everything. And that's the, you know, that's why I always like say to everybody who wants to go into film, I say, stay yourself. I mean, it was hard for me then. I was, uh, I was ridiculed in, in, in Germany. Um, and, and, you know, and that's, you know, I still did what I wanted to do. It seems to have worked out. Somewhat. <laughs> My thanks to Roland Emmerich, whose new film Midway lands in theaters everywhere this Friday, November 8th. Thanks also to Kate Parks and Kat Simmons at Elevation Pictures. They know what they did. You can find Roland on Twitter at Roland Emmerich, all one word, and you can find Close Encounters of the Third Kind on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play, but that 4K disc is glorious. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our shiny new theme song is by The Last Year. If you'd like to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other podcasts on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're pretty good. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening. See you next week with a much longer episode.